Welcome to the Neander Art Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Howley. From the caves and rock shelters of Europe and the Near East, new evidence is emerging that the ancient people we now know as Neanderthals did not simply scrape by and live in a delicate balance between ape and man, but surrounded themselves with creations of art and culture that we used to think were the exclusive domain of modern humans. Join us in conversation with the experts who are making these discoveries and revolutionizing our ideas about the world of Neander art. We're talking today with Matteo Scardavelli. Matteo's presentation at Neander Art was on the Middle Stone Age South African engravings. Uh, Matteo looked closely at these and has some ideas about whether this is the dawn of art and what that would mean for us. Matteo, can you tell us a little bit about your talk at the Neander Art Conference? Yes, of course. So this is a, a piece of ochre. It's a very famous uh, archaeological find, actually. If you just Google what uh, the first work of art in humanity is, uh, you will, uh, of course, find this piece of ochre, uh, which is big as a cell phone, more or less, and has been uh, scratched, uh, engraved with parallel lines. And so the authors, mainly Chris Henshilwood and some colleagues of, uh, of him, they pretend that this is the first symbolical proof of humanity. I disagree with this, uh, with this view uh, from an archaeological point of view and from a semiological and epistemic point of view. Let's get a little more background on this piece of ochre itself. So it's a mineral based that, uh, yes, you can find in the landscape. Uh, there are sometimes you find mines. And people across the world and for many long periods of time have used these minerals to decorate things, right? To use it oh, to yes, color yes, yes, yes. walls. This is a very old finding, actually. You, you can find it even 500,000 years ago. According to archaeologists, there might be some symbolic value to, to its use. And the main proofs for this is that there was a choice for color. So if, uh, if its use was only functional, you, you would say any color is good. So yes, it has been used symbolically for thousands of years. But this specific one, which is coming from Blombos Cave, which is a cave in South Africa, the, the dates associated with this finding is broadly 75,000 years ago. That would be older than any other known art production that we've seen in the world, right? Um, it depends. It depends by the authors. There are there are who would say that one million five hundred years ago you you already find something because uh, you can find very old findings of fossils of strange objects. You also find the pebbles that have been retouched in a non-function, non-directly functional way. So it depends by the author. Let's say that this is the more broadly accepted older uh, piece of art. And so when you've looked at this, you said that these uh, scratches on it, even if not necessarily functional, aren't quite the same as making something with a design or an artistic or symbolic purpose. What's your uh, finding behind that? Sometimes we can find the designs that can also have only an aesthetic value, but we find them in, in groups. We find many of them the same in more on, on one side. So for example, 
also in, in South Africa, in a more recent period, uh, we find uh, ostrich eggshells with some designs on it. And they are clearly something that have been done for decoration. But uh, we have nothing, any, any proof like this for this uh, particular piece of ochre. What about the ostrich eggshells makes that look more convincingly like an intentional design? So the, the trait, it's very clear. While on the Blombos Cave ochre, the trait is very uncertain, it's not very precise. And uh, also you can find exactly the same pattern on more than one piece. So uh, these are clear proofs that there has been an intention. Maybe, maybe we will discover something more in the, ne in the next years and of course I will change my interpretation. Yeah. So how, what, what are the dates for the ostrich egg shells? It's uh, seven, around 70,000 years ago. So these shells, the ochre, if people accept it, these are earlier demonstrations of kind of a visual art than anything that we have in the caves themselves. And it would extend back into the time when Neanderthals were still alive. But down in South Africa, there were no Neanderthals. Yes, yes. So this is still a very interesting uh, find in the ostrich eggshell. But uh, again, in, in my personal view, I don't think that we need any proof like this, because in general, the general public and archaeologists get very excited when they find this. Uh, these material findings were the direct proof that uh, only the populations who created the, those pieces had the higher intelligence, were more developed, uh, and so on. What is not said is that it is considered that other populations, human population being them Homo sapiens or Neanderthals, that didn't create this kind of, uh, of decoration or of uh, engravings, were like underdeveloped. So I, I really disagree with this view. For example, when a population has, uh, has uh, some need and they have uh, some individuals or the population in, in its all have to imagine uh, what to do for resolving that problem. And they invent something new, a new tool or a new uh, strategy for hunting, a new strategy for, I don't know, walking in the snow or, or to, to not have a cold at night and all these things. So this is what makes us human. Not, uh, you know, a, a small scratching, I could say ugly and rapidly made on a, on a piece of ochre. That, that is not what defines us. There is a sort of mania of uh, archaeologists uh, to pretend that they found the, the, the proof that we are uh, human, that we are cognitively advanced. So I don't think that uh, that's the good way for interpreting our evolutionary story. So you'd say kind of the physical manifestations of our creativity and our artistic symbolism are kind of a nice... Uh, they're a record of some of this functionality, but they are by no means the pinnacle of the expression of these abilities. When we start finding Homo erectus outside uh, Africa, it's already uh, something incredible because a species, uh, you know, uh, when, when you find uh, monkeys in, in Africa, they tend to stay in the same environment because they, their adaptation is just one environment. With Homo erectus, which, which is the preceding species before uh, Homo sapiens and before Homo neanderthalensis too, uh, you already see that we, we, we started to uh, have imagination. 
because uh, a species that was born in Africa started to imagine other ways of living. So when you find an Homo erectus in China, this is already a miracle, let's say. Then we also find, uh, for example, another indirect uh, proof of our advanced uh, cognition is uh, crossing the oceans, crossing the sea. So the population of Australia is uh, more or less 60,000 years. So for that too, you need a boat. Would you say that as you look at the question of Neander art and the dawn of artistic uh, expression by human populations, these are evidences of a specific behavior that are exciting for us to look at, but we know, we see that they were already very innovative and had an imagination that would have enabled them to thrive in these diverse environments. And that dawn of imagination precedes any kind of artistic expression that we did and that's what you see as the real key moment of that spark of humanity? Yes, yes, of course. And also another part that is often, uh, it's not really treated in, in, in the scientific uh, research, is if you go to the very important moment in our history, that is when we met with Homo sapiens in, in Europe. At first, we, we thought that there have been a, a sort of war between us and them. So because we were, we, we were thinking that they were brutes doing war. Not like today that we don't do war, right? So they, they were thinking that, but actually there is no proof for that. We can find no injuries that can be related directly and clearly to eating somebody with a spear or something like that. Actually, what we are thinking today is that uh, how the Neanderthal disappeared is that they were integrated in, uh, in our uh, communities. So actually, Neanderthals are us. We, they, they came with us. And somehow we, we, we met as populations meet. We met them and finally we, uh, we became friends and we also made families. So that is also very interesting. So there's been a lot of talk over the last several years of the genetic analysis showing our common, our most recent common ancestor 40 to 60,000 years ago out of Africa and then moving out across the world. And now we're finding more and more evidence that those modern human populations that moved out of Africa actually encountered existing other human populations and mixed with them. It's all part of a more diverse origins for us than, than we maybe pictured before, like uh, where we used to picture one step in evolution leading to the next step in evolution. But now we see that we had a more diverse family tree that had lots of different adaptations to different areas. There may have been eras of more or less creativity in, in visual arts, you know, maybe scratching ochre or scratching eggshells. But all of this stuff as different manifestations in different times and places of an underlying human experience and human conditions that goes back much further, probably even into the Homo erectus era, the first first hominids to get out across the world. Yes, yes, yes. You know, for example, until, uh, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago, people, even scientists, uh, would think that people from Africa were different. So a child that was born in Africa, he would, uh, he would grow up in a different way than in Europe. It's not only something about racial, it's uh, also about uh, Neanderthals, because it's happening, it, it's happening the same thing. So at some point we discovered that if a child was uh, growing up in Europe, he would become 100% European. So no difference at all, zero. Not one a little different, no, no difference at all. And why this? Because what renders us human is culture. So it's uh, the way you socialize, the, the way 
you imagine, the, your ability of uh, creating things. This is what renders you human. It's not the genes, you know, it's, uh, it's the culture that, uh, that really matters. So nowadays, uh, the revolution, for example, about the new discoveries about Neanderthal art, and specifically the cave art in, uh, in Spain dated uh, 65,000 years ago. So it, it is not important that the dates uh, and the attribution are correct, because both can be wrong. Okay? But this is not the question. The question is that we are not astonished anymore as a scientist, as archaeologists. It could have been. Because we are all part of, of the human family. And the human family, this is what we do. We create things, we, we, we change uh, our mind, we change our environment, uh, we create art, uh, we have ideas, you know? So this is the real revolution. It's not the discovery that uh, Neanderthal did this or that. It's the discovery that it doesn't matter. We, we interpreted the Neanderthal story exactly as we interpreted the Homo sapiens story. This is the real revolution of 2018, in my opinion. Thank you so much, Matteo, for taking the time to talk and for all of your work at the NeanderArt Conference. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. The conversations featured on the NeanderArt podcast stem from the presentations and ideas shared at the inaugural NeanderArt Conference held at the campus Luigi Einaudi at the University of Turin in Italy. The conference was organized by CESMAP, with the scientific partnership of the International Union of Prehistoric and Protohistoric Sciences and the International Federation of Rock Art Organizations.